Welcome to Expresso Crime, a podcast all about crimes, short enough to listen to while you enjoy your cup of coffee. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Expresso Crime. Today's Sunday scaries are alligator-based crimes and then crime trivia to follow. So let's get started with our three alligator crime cases. Up first, Joseph Douglas Ball, also known as the Alligator Man, was born on January 7, 1896. Ball was the great-great-grandson of John Hart Crenshaw, a notorious illegal slave trader, kidnapper, and illegal slave breeder in Illinois. After serving on the front lines in Europe during World War I, Ball started his career as a bootlegger, providing illegal liquor to those who could pay for it after the end of Prohibition. He opened a saloon called the Sociable Inn in Texas. He built a a pond that contained six alligators because he thought one could get away with murder if there was no body. He charged people to view them, especially during feeding time. The food consisted mostly of live cats and dogs. After a while, women in the area were reported missing, including barmaids, former girlfriends, and his wife. When two sheriff deputies went to question him in 1938, Ball pulled a handgun from his cash register and killed himself with a bullet through the heart. A handyman who conspired with Ball, Clifford Wheeler, admitted to helping Ball dispose of the bodies of two of the women he had killed. Wheeler led them to the remains. Our second case, super quick, and is fast forward to 2015 in Florida, when a classic example of Florida man shenanigans took place when someone threw a live three-foot alligator through the drive-thru at Wendy's. Now for the third case. It's a little long, but it's full of twists and turns and relies on alligators to be responsible. Jerry Michael Williams, better known as Michael or Mike, grew up in Florida. His parents worked hard and saved their money so Mike and his brother could go to a good school. While in school, Mike excelled in high school and went on to Florida State University. In 1994, he got married and in 1999, he and his wife had their only child. In 2000, Mike's father passed away and partway through the year, Mike and his wife bought a $1 million policy on him through a childhood acquaintance of his wife and now Mike's best friend. According to Mike's wife, Denise, on December 16, 2000, Mike left their home early with his boat to go duck hunting and the couple planned to celebrate their wedding anniversary that night. At noon, Denise called her father to tell him Mike had not returned yet. He and Mike's best friend drove down to where Mike normally hunted to look for him. When they arrived, they found Mike's missing vehicle near a boat launch. Then they reported Mike as a missing hunter to the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation ran the initial search, but it was soon called off due to a storm. We didn't have a whole lot to go on except there was an empty boat and the guy didn't show up. There was nothing there that we had from the scene that suggested foul play at all, said one of the agency's officers. The search was focused on the 10 acres of lake surrounding the cove where the vehicle was parked. They found the boat, and once it was retrieved, investigators also found Mike's shotgun, still in its case, but no other signs. Searchers assumed Mike hit a stump with his boat, fell into the water, and had drowned. Had Mike drowned, his body would have been expected to eventually float to the surface, making it easier to discover. Investigators assured the Williams family that his body would surface like other drowning victims within three to four within three to seven days or perhaps slightly longer due to the due to the cold front 
that had moved in after the first night's storm. No body was found, however. Ten days into the search, a camo-patterned hunting hat was found, but it could not be connected to Mike. Efforts continued until the search was called off in early February. It has since been suggested that this search might have been continued had Denise Williams indicated an interest in such. In June, an angler in the Stumpfield area discovered clothing floating in the lake. Divers were called in to search the area, then recovered from the lake bottom a lightweight hunting jacket and a flashlight. In one of the jacket pockets, there was a hunting license with Mike's name and signature. However, there was no teeth marks or any other damage on the items. None of the recovered items showed signs of having been in the water for anything like the period Williams had been missing, and there was no DNA evidence found to link the clothing to him. A week later, a Leon County judge granted Denise Williams' petition to have Mike's to have Mike declared legally dead on the basis of those recovered items and an assumption that alligators had consumed the body completely. The court decision allowed Denise Williams to immediately proceed with claims on her husband's life insurance policies, from which she received $1.5 million. Mike's mom hired investigators as she didn't believe what had happened. Her attempts to bring about a further investigation were unsuccessful, though and she had stated that she received threats to discourage her. For the next several years, she investigated on her own and ran advertisements in local newspapers and put up billboards seeking information. In 2004, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement agreed to reopen the case. Many officers agreed with Mike's mom that the circumstances surrounding Mike Williams' apparent drowning four years before were unusual and were strongly at odds with that conclusion. In 2005, Denise married Brian Winchester, the best friend who had sold Mike some of the policies a few months before he disappeared. The, com- the couple went on to live in the same house where Denise and Mike had lived prior. By 2006, the cold case investigators were no longer returning Mike's mother's phone calls. She continued to do what she could to publicize the case, taking out ads in local newspapers, though. In October 2007, Mike Williams' older brother found a photograph and the serial number of a pistol that once belonged to his father. Michael had inherited it after his father's death, and after Michael was declared legally dead, it was the only one of his firearms that Denise Williams had not returned to her former in-laws. After Jackson County Sheriff's Investigator Wesler asked the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms to look for it, Agents visited Denise and Brian at their home. Several days later, their attorney delivered the gun to the FDLA, and it was sent to State Forensics Lab for DNA testing. In 2008, the Florida Department of Financial Services Division of Insurance Fraud, in conjunction with FDLAE, began investigating the case from that angle. Normally, under Florida law, the statute of limitations on that crime is five years, meaning it would have expired in 2005, but it can be extended by three years under certain circumstances. By the eighth anniversary of Mike's disappearance, however, the DIF had closed the case. Our job was extremely difficult and we were simply unable to develop enough evidence to proceed with the investigation, they said. They added that if new information were received, the investigation could be reopened. 
We have our suspicions, but we but what we need is evidence. In 2012, Denise and Brian separated, reportedly due to his sex addiction. She filed for divorce in 2015. Brian opposed it initially and had to be ordered to comply. As part of that order, he was to provide an appraisal of the couple's home due early in August 2016. On October 18, 2017, the team of search dogs and officers finally found Mike Williams' remains in piles of dirt stacked on plywood sheets just five miles from his childhood home. In December 2017, Brian was sentenced to 20 years in prison for kidnapping of his wife with credit of 502 days for time served to be followed by 15 years probation. On May 8, 2018, Denise Williams was arrested at Florida State as she left work to celebrate her daughter's 19th birthday, minutes after a grand jury had indicted her on charges of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and accessory after the fact. Prosecutors continued to keep details of the crime to themselves, saying they would share them in court when the time came. They did say that they would seek to have her denied bail. In June 2018, Denise Williams was ordered held without bond with a trial date set for September 24th. The state star witness was Brian, who testified at length about how he and Denise had never really ended their high school relationship, even after they both married others. Kathy Thomas, Brian's first wife, told the jury that she had suspected the two of them having an affair in the late 1990s when they frequently double-dated with Mike and Denise. Brian said in his confession, a tape of which was played for the jury, that the affair had started in 1997 and just snowballed. After discreetly rekindling their relationship, the two began to consider killing Mike so they could marry, as Denise's family frowned on divorce for religious reasons. Denise suggested staging a boating accident on the Gulf of Mexico where they could throw both Mike and Kathy Thomas overboard but Brian did not want to kill his children's mother. After rejecting plans for a murder at Mike's office meant to look like a robbery, Brian hit on the idea of an apparent hunting accident after he saved Mike from quicksand when the two of them were hunting in Arkansas. On the day Mike disappeared, Brian said he had enticed him to go out onto the lake with him. Out on the water, he had gotten Mike to put the fishing pants on and then pushed him out of the boat thinking he would be unable to resurface and would drown, but instead he managed to get to a tree stump, so Brian fired a single shotgun blast to the face. Since Mike's death could no longer be passed off as a boating accident, Brian buried the body where he was later found, then cleaned out his truck and went to a family Christmas party where he learned that a search was underway. He and Denise took it slow after Mike's accident, both to let the insurance money earn further interest and to make sure any suspicion was kept at bay. In February 2019, Denise was sentenced to life in prison. She did not speak or offer any argument on her behalf. Five months later, Mike and Denise's daughter was awarded all assets of her late father's estate and insurance monies due to Denise after her mother signed them over to her to avoid prosecution of three counts of insurance fraud. As part of the deal, the daughter may not use any of her money on her mother's legal fees. In June 2020, Denise Williams appealed her conviction and life sentence. Her attorney argued before the Florida First District Court of Appeals that there was no evidence she was involved in the commission of the murder. 
In November 2020, the murder conviction was overturned, but the conspiracy to commit murder conviction was upheld, including the 30-year sentence that accompanied it. Now for crime trivia. Okay, we are ready for crime trivia? Are you ready? I was born ready. Okay, what are the questions? Just kidding. (laughs) I'm asking you. Number one. Sharon Tate was murdered by which criminal? Myra Heinley or Charles Manson? Charles Manson. You are correct. Number two. How many people have been named as Jack the Ripper suspects? 100 or 300? Let's say 300. That would be wrong. Number three. So just 100? 100. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Number three. Metal Fang was the serial killer known for his vicious dogs or white metal teeth. The teeth. That's correct. Number four. How did Giggling Granny kill numerous family members? By poison or with a knife? Hmm. I want to say poison. That would be right. Do you have a whole episode in here or something? We are going to be doing that in the future. There we go. Grandma's gone bad. You'll have to tune in for more info. Number five. John... What is wrong with me today? Number five. John Dillinger escaped from jail using what object? A sharpened toothbrush or a wooden gun? Wooden gun. That's correct. And I feel like I need to know the backstory on that. You've not learned the backstory? No. Well, there you go. There's another episode for you. Do you know about it? Me? Yeah. Don't think so. Okay. Number six. Billy the Kid was said to have have killed 27 people, but in reality probably killed how many? Eight or three? Three. Eight. Eight or nine. Number seven, which infamous criminal was known by the nickname Scarface? Al Capone or Joseph Coney? What? How do you say it? No, 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 Joseph Coney. Is he not the one that was Coney 2012? I can't. What was Coney 2012? Wasn't that like all these child soldiers in Africa? I can't remember that. So I'm going to say Al Capone. That is right. Okay, number eight. How did Pablo Escobar become so wealthy? Drug smuggling or money laundering? We obviously did both. But what was the main factor? Drugs. Yes. Cocaine made him a very, very wealthy man. Number nine. Did you know, I saw the other day, because he had some hippos. He had like his own zoonist complex or whatever. He had some hippo, pet hippos. I saw something the other day that they are uh, meant to be... So the US has got something to do with it, but <clears throat> they have to, they get human rights, basically, because they're animals of interest or something like that. I see. Because they used to be his. What do you mean the human rights? I don't know. They have to get treated a certain way. Because they have special rights, more rights than a normal animal. I don't. I couldn't. Are they just used to a very luxurious lifestyle? Probably. Okay. I watched a 
I didn't watch Narcos, but it was in the 30 for 30 documentary, The Two Escobars. So there was a whole bunch of stuff about him as well. There's some very cool stuff. And despite being a bad guy, supposedly it was very organised badness. And then when he died, it all went downhill because everyone was now acting for themselves. Mm, you do need a good crime leader. Yes. Okay, number nine. Ted, Ted Kaczynski was also known as the Unabomber or Crazy Kaczynski. Crazy Kaczynski. No, the Unabomber. I, I made that, that up. You can take that nickname if that is your last name. Number 10. How did Ted Bundy often lure in his female victims? By faking an injury or claiming that he was very wealthy? Faking injury. That is correct. That wraps up crime trivia and a little, a few fun facts on hippos and whatnot as well. Well, I'm not even sure if you call it a fact. I didn't even remember what it was, so... Tidbit of info. Have, have a Google some hippos. And you might, you might find something interesting out. I might have just misremembered what I've read completely, so... Who's going to be too sure? Who knows? Okay. Good playing. Thanks for listening.